Welcome to Rotcast. This episode of Rotcast is titled New York at Night. I'm really not an expert on the big city. A more accurate title might be the trumpeter. We're going to mention trumpeters probably more than New York. One of my best memories of New York was visiting the Village Vanguard, the jazz club, to see trumpeter Wallace Roney. The album art for this episode shows a photo of Roney playing. Also, stay tuned for the Juicy Truth Wine Review, where Number 9 and I review Trumpeter Cabernet. But now, listen to this. The Village Vanguard street sign is neon, but the shape of the sign underneath the neon tubes doesn't follow the shape of the lettering. It looks like they saved money on the sign by reusing the base from another business. Maybe a locksmith, as the sign's outer shape might be a key. As a New York landmark, you might wish for a more impressive facade, but what it lacks in presence, it makes up for in history, survivability, and uniqueness. Once there was Birdland, the Five Spot, Cafe Society, the Royal Roost, and all of 52nd Street. Why did these other jazz clubs fade and the Vanguard thrives? I was there once, New York, Greenwich Village, I don't remember the 15 steps I must have descended from the street. I don't remember the photos on the wall. I must have seen the decorations, headshots and posters for jazz giants such as Roy Eldridge, Dizzy Gillespie, Miles Davis, Coleman Hawkins, Sonny Rollins, John Coltrane, Charles Mingus, and Dexter Gordon. I do remember the joint was small, very small. It has a crazy shape too. In 1914, The city tore down a nine-block swath through the village to add a subway link. The corners of buildings were sheared off, and a number of building lots were left triangular. The structure that houses the vanguard was one of these. If you were building a jazz club from scratch, you could do worse to base the venue on a triangle, because the kooky vanguard shape has proven to be an acoustically perfect environment. The sound of music performed and recorded in the Vanguard is the standard by which musicians and recording engineers judge the quality of their performances. I was the plus one of the music reporter and editor for the jazz magazine for which we both worked. 
I was a total hick when it came to New York, so I followed his lead. Sometimes a venue will supply press seating. Those seats are usually very good, but this reporter often would rather duck the usual suspects who also attend these music events, and instead would position himself for a quick escape. We stood at the back of the vanguard. I vaguely remember we were almost standing in a phone box that occupied a corner of the main room, the only other room being the kitchen, which apparently serves as the manager's office and green room for the band. I can't remember much about the set we heard. We were there for Wallace Roney. I remember his horn was the first I'd seen that was finished in a blue lacquer. The brassy metal showed through in places, forming a decorative patterning on the surface. It was flashy. I'd seen some jazz horns that were all beat to hell. In fact, most of the time, a musician's axe doesn't look like much. It doesn't affect the sound. Roney's sound was melodious. My friend the editor explained that Roney had once taken over for Miles Davis, or doubled his parts on stage when Miles wasn't up to it. Now Davis's signature sound was Roney's thing. I liked it. The only other thing I do recall was following the editor out of the vanguard as the band finished. We didn't leave the same way we entered. We left through the famous kitchen, twisting up and out of the narrow darkness and onto the street. We hopped into a cab and made our getaway, but we weren't headed anyplace special. It just felt like we had a purpose in New York and now the vanguard was cramping our style. Pretty cool. never met or even wandered into close proximity of Dizzy Gillespie, but it might have happened. I think I was just a day late and a dollar short. I'll explain. I worked at a music store that only sold jazz, and because of this specialization, I was exposed to more jazz and jazz musicians than the general public. This was a good thing. I like jazz. Anyway, my job at the music store gave me access to several steel cabinets filled with photographs of jazz artists. Most of these photos were publicity shots sent out with press kits to promote a record release. But in the G folder inside the cabinets were a series of snapshots of Dizzy. Dizzy Gillespie hanging out at my store. And you could see from the photos this happened more than once. There were shots from the 60s and the 70s and later. You also could see he wasn't at the store in any official capacity because the shots showed Diz totally relaxed, dressed real casual, no horn in sight. Dizzy and the owner of the store were tight. The owner had taken these snaps. The owner was a Jewish cat who fancied himself a jazz musician. I think he did some playing, some drumming, but when I knew the old man, he was mainly a semi-retired music store owner. He wasn't really involved with the day-to-day -day operation of the store. He left that to his sons. He once took me fishing. I'm not sure why. Maybe no one else would go with him that day. I think it was a bonding thing. I don't bond well. 
We anchored the boat in the Potomac Rapids downstream from some rocks. I was nervous maneuvering the boat in and out of the wild water, but I had the feeling that the old man had this spot and he'd been out to it many times. We didn't catch any fish to speak of, but more importantly, I didn't drown, so it was a great time. He may have told me stories about Dizzy. I wouldn't remember. One thing I learned during my time at the Jazz Star was that stories about jazz musicians by jazz musicians rarely had a satisfactory resolution. They tended to end suddenly without a point. In the old man's case, age might have had something to do with his anticlimactic narratives. Compound his age with a life in jazz and the smoking that would entail, is it any wonder he didn't care to sustain any kind of dramatic arc? Still, the stories started well, and they sounded good. This store owner cat had a way of speaking. He spoke in a rhythmic mumble. He punctuated phrases with man and occasionally obscenities. It was funny. I don't know how close the old man and Dizzy really were. I would bet they smoked together. None of the photos of Dizzy in the file cabinet showed the two together. They were more like bird-watching photos. Dizzy asleep sitting near the sunny window of the record store. Dizzy pausing mid-sandwich, wondering why his picture was being taken. Now you can see why I might have had expectations that I might meet Dizzy Gillespie, or at least find myself hovering several yards away from him. I might have been comped into a show where Dizzy was playing live, but as I said, this never happened. Instead, one day the old man came into my office and set before me a CD anthology of Dizzy's music. Dizzy had died. I was surprised that the old man gave me such a large set of music. It didn't cost him anything, but he might have sold it. In fact, I wasn't sure it was a gift at first, but it was a nice one. And now, the juicy truth with number nine and Rotwang. Tonight we are drinking Trumpeter Cabernet Sauvignon 2007. This wine fits right in with our wines from high altitude vineyards that we've been trying. We recently drank a wine from Chile in episode 13, and in our next show, number 16, we'll be tasting a wine from Mount Etna, Italy. I'll discuss the effects high altitude can have on growing grapes and wine production a little bit later. I'm here with number nine. You recognize this wine? I do recognize this wine. We used to sell Trumpeter at the wine shop where I worked in West Virginia. We sold the Cab and also the Malbec, and everyone seemed to really like both of those. The Trumpeter label shows an abstraction of shapes on a field of black. The shapes taken together resemble a man in a red fedora, and a tan suit. He's playing a trumpet. His head is low, so we only see the red hat. The trumpet he plays is a metallic copper color. The same copper is used as a band encircling the top and bottom of the label. 
Also, the copper is used in a separate graphic showing a mountain range with three peaks. The slopes of the mountains are covered with parallel striations that could be rows of planted grapevines. The two varietals that Trumpeter makes, the Cab and the Malbec, the labels are almost identical except for the tiny font at the bottom where it says what kind of wine it is. Ratwang, what do you think about the aroma of this wine? I think that for once the label is right on the money. The label said something about vanilla. I think the vanilla that we're picking up has something to do with the oak cask. Also, are you getting a hint of cocoa in this? The sensation I'm getting that is something like cocoa is a waxy type of uh, flavor that you might find in a bar of Baker's chocolate. Have you ever put um, powdered cocoa into chili? I think cocoa and chili is a really good combination. Also, I think you can use cinnamon. Powdered cinnamon has the same kind of effect if you put a little on your tongue, it, it dries it all out. I'm familiar with the cinnamon challenge. I had a friend win a hundred dollars one day from eating a teaspoon of cinnamon. He was egged on by his friends, but I, I don't recommend the cinnamon challenge. He was throwing up for days. I won't take that challenge. It adds something to the to the taste, I think, that could be cocoa-y. This wine has to have some tannins in it, right? Because, I mean, it's a cab that's a big wine. Well, the tannins are generally the grape skins and stems, and stems have bark on them. That's where cinnamon comes from. So I think that you're right on with that. Are you getting that in the taste as well as the aroma? It was mostly something that was happening in my mouth. Whereas the vanilla, when we first uh, cracked this bottle open, it was a sweet aroma. There's a lot of other things going on with this wine. The complexity category is going to be more interesting than other wines we've reviewed. Yeah, I think this cab is pretty complex. We have the sweetness happening with the vanilla and cinnamon and cocoa even. But it's also spicy. There is a complexity there, and it's an interplay between the spices and the air. Wow, these two are drunk. They don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> oh. Show called on account of inebriation. For color, I would give this wine a 10. I think it's beautiful. It's got a deep red cranberry color. I agree. Ten for color. Clarity? Would you give it a nine or a ten? The only points I'll take off for clarity have to do with the cork that we shoved into the bottle. So um, let's go with a nine. I'm feeling optimistic. We obviously like this wine. The body is pretty substantial, I'd say. 
don't think I would want to eat a heavy meal with this because it's it's so big on its own. Uh, but we're just sipping it, and so I think it's fine for that. And I'd give it an eight, maybe. I agree. Let's go with eight. Aroma. We've already talked at length about the aroma. And uh, I'm going to have to say it gets highest marks for me, 10. High score for aroma. I'm going to say for taste, I'm going to go, let's go with a 9. I agree with your 9, number 9. Number 9, number 9, number 9. Do you know that from the White Album? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you're too young. Number 11, do you know that from the White Album? Uh, not a Beatle fan. So, uh, complexity. Oh, I like it when I do this. Uh, you should add more bites of you just doing that. This cab is very complex. I think we liked all of the little nuances that we discovered. So, let's go with a 9 for complexity. Don't you think that this, if it aged, it may be, maybe not too long, but it would only get better? Well, this is an 07, so it's already almost four years old. Yeah, I would say it, it would probably get better, but five years may be the max, and it may start going downhill after that. For complexity, I need to give it a score, and I'm going to say I'll go with nine. Now, the acid balance, you once said on one of our shows, and I repeated it recently, that if uh, acid balance is off, you know it pretty darn quick, and it it can ruin your whole day. I had, had no problem with this acid balance. We've drunk almost the entire bottle, and it's uh, every swallow is... uh, just as bright as the last, I'd say. I think as far as acid balance goes, no news is good news. It didn't attack us when we opened the bottle. So let's give this a good rating. It's pretty balanced. I'm going to go with a 10. I'll agree. So now the alcohol balance. If I were going to give this wine a low rating on any of these categories... This might be the one. I guess I'm looking for a place to fault it, and this might be that place. When alcohol is out of balance, I usually have to close my eyes or hold my breath as I'm taking a sip, but I don't have to do that in this case. It's it's not offensive, so, this and this is only 13%. I mean, I would say that it's it's pretty balanced. If we give it a good score, though, this is going to be like our all-time best rating. I don't know. Is this is this really for real? Is this accurate? If this got the highest score, I think to date our highest score was the Pinotage, and it was very good, but it tasted totally different than this. Since we've rated so highly in all the other categories, why don't we give ourselves a little bit of room and give it an eight for the heck of it? Okay. And it's not going to hurt the final score that much. 
So now we move on to price. And here again, it was under $10. Our goal is $10. It's under $10. So I think we're going to have to give it 10 points. I agree. It's a simple category. Was it under $10? Yes, it was. I would buy this again. What about you, Rotwang? I would and will buy this again. I'm also very curious about the trumpeter Malbec. The grape most associated with red wines from Argentina is Malbec. We need someone who can do figures to calculate the final score. Who could that be? And the score is 92. Pinotage was only a 90. So we've beaten our highest score with Trumpeter at 92. Okay, how does altitude affect growing grapes? Higher altitudes can provide several benefits. Greater ultraviolet radiation can cause the skins of the grapes to grow thicker and therefore have higher levels of tannins. This can make the wine less astringent. Steep slopes, rocky conditions, and thin soils stress the vines and produce smaller fruits with superior natural acidity compared to lower altitude grapes. Good acidity in the fruit creates a well-balanced wine with intense concentration, body, and flavor. In regions such as Mendoza, Argentina, where this wine was sourced, the warm days and cool nights at higher elevations provide a longer growing season. The longer the season, the more potential for interesting and complex wine. Answer to chapter and verse movie quiz for episode 14 is Bad Lieutenant, Port of Call, New Orleans. This is a great film released in 2010 and directed by Werner Herzog. Herzog has a good track record as a director. I've seen four of his films, Fitzcarraldo, Rescue Dawn, Grizzly Man, and Bad Lieutenant. I've enjoyed them all. Fitzcarraldo is majestic. It's about the Herculean effort of a man to build an opera house in the jungle. I don't remember too much of the plot of Rescue Dawn, except it's about a man escaping a jungle prison. I remember being surprised that I liked the film. Grizzly Man is a documentary using existing footage of a man who films his own suicide by a grizzly bear. It's riveting, both sad and funny, because it's true. The setting for Grizzly Man is far away from civilization among the bears. My favorite of Herzog's films is Bad Lieutenant. 
I like movies about crime, and Bad Lieutenant is about crime as a tactic and a profession. Crime in this film is defined as the glue that binds one group into a happy family. Where you would expect a life of drug use to mandate dysfunction, here it's both a, a currency and a means to survive. The film might be saying that the narrow definition of what's legal is much smaller than what's moral or practical. It does this in a thoroughly entertaining way. The movie stars Nicolas Cage, and he fits the role perfectly. Many of Herzog's films are romantic in the way that awesome nature is shown as the Goliath compared with pitiful man as David. New Orleans is shown as a human outpost after Hurricane Katrina. The policeman played by Nicolas Cage is the new animal in town, using his clever brain but still surviving by instincts. At least that's my interpretation for someone you'd have to say is an anti-hero because he's breaking most of society's laws while having the social contract to enforce the law. Welcome to Chapter and Verse, Movie Quiz number 15. Today, we are going to describe Chapter 5, This Dirty Town. It's nearly five minutes long, and your hints, besides the fact that it belongs to this episode, New York After Dark, are these. This movie was released in 1957. It must be one of the last film noirs before the retro noirs started up with Chinatown in the 1970s. Anyone who enjoys old movies will recognize the actors' voices from the clips. It's just a matter of knowing which movies they both start in together. The chapter begins as the two main characters leave the 21. This is a famous bar and restaurant in Manhattan that truly existed. One of the men is wearing a hat and pulling on his coat. We'll call him Initials. The 21 Mater D helps Initials on with his coat. Initial calls the Mater D by name and tells him his next destination will be the El Morocco, another real Manhattan bar. This shows that Initials works frequently out of these establishments and that the staff are charged with forwarding any messages to him. Initials turns to his erstwhile companion, we'll call him Slippery. He turns to Slippery and asks him why he's not wearing a coat. Initials guesses rudely that Slippery is saving the money he'd have to give out in tips to coat check room personnel. His guess is correct. They stand in front of the club on the street. This entire short chapter takes place on a small portion of this street. Slippery looks across the street and points. There's a cut to a close-up of a police car window. We know this because there's a sign on the passenger visor. It says, Police New York 64. Two cops sit in the car. They are lit from beneath. They look sinister. They are sinister. One cop wears a hat. He gets out of the car. He moves from the dashboard lights into darkness. His shape grows and is silhouetted by storefront lights. 
across the way. As the camera pivots, we see the full view of the front of 21. There are the distinct decorations of jockey statues in a row that stand above the entrance to 21. We also see initials and slippery crossing the street towards the cop. Cars honk at them for getting in the way. As they approach, initials calls out to the cop by name. Hello, Harry. The cop returns his salute by wishing him a good night in Italian. Initial says to Slippery without turning around that the cop is showing admiration for Slippery's ancestry by using this greeting. The cop brags that he is also fluent in Yiddish because he once worked in Brooklyn. Initials shakes hands with the cop Harry, but afterwards suggests the cop used too much grip. Initials looks at him a little mistrustful. Initials rounds to the cop car and bends down to speak to the other cop through the car window. He also calls this cop by name and asks how his kids are. We see through the car window from the street side from behind the cop inside the car. Initials glances at the cop radio and asks if there's any reports of crime that might be of interest. We return to the earlier shot on the sidewalk side of the car. Cop Harry says that there isn't anything going down. We are behind initials and the camera swings a quarter of the way around him to show him in profile. Now Slippery is center frame, full faced, and initials and Cop Harry are profiled left and right. Slippery looks small and weak standing in the street while the two converse in front of him on the sidewalk. Initials asks about a girl who was taken to Bellevue, a hospital in Manhattan known for its psychiatric facilities. The cop says she's still alive, but no one knows if she jumped or was pushed. Initials directs the cop in the car to check on the status of the girl. Initials introduces Slippery to Cop Harry. Cop Harry extends his hand to shake, but Slippery doesn't trust the cop's grip and makes a joke. He backs away a few steps and turns away with a smile. The cop laughs a little too long and loud. Initials changes the cop's mood quickly. He reminds him he once hit a boy too hard. The cop becomes quiet and stares off thinking of this low point in his career. He comes out of his trance quickly and grateful to Initials, saying he will not forget how Initials helped him out of that jam. The cop goes to shake Initials' hand again. They are interrupted by the cop in the car. Initials looks into the car window as before. The cop on their radio explains that the girl Initials was interested in died 20 minutes ago. Initials takes this news in stride, showing no sadness. He thanks the cop and raises up, making a small note on a small piece of paper. He says goodbye to Cop Harry and heads down the sidewalk to the rear of the police car. He's followed by the black silhouette of Slippery. The cop stares predator-like as Slippery passes. Slippery says goodbye to the cop, but there is contempt in his voice. He calls the cop by his last name. The camera looks back at Cop Harry and he bids initials a good night in Spanish. Slippery looks back at the departing cop. He comments on his use of Spanish with a sneer. Initial confesses that he likes the cop. I like Harry, but I can't deny he sweats a little. On the sidewalk ahead of the pair, there is a ruckus. Don't try to come back or I'll throw you out again. Just a minute, my hat's in here and I pay Hey, 
someone knocks a trash can into the street. The shot is composed so the spilled garbage is center frame between initials and slippery. They watch like spectators as a drunk is tossed out of a club. Initials says, I love this dirty town. Initials looks across the street and gives someone a signal. A car pulls out into the street and starts following the pair as they walk back towards 21. Slippery follows Initials downstage or well behind so he appears much smaller in the frame. He is also obscured by Initials as he hovers in back and around the big man. Slippery walks backwards in front of Initials as Initials attempts to reach his car and driver. Slippery is bartering for an extension on a previously arranged quid pro quo. Initials drops us a little exposition here. He doesn't want to damage his relationship with his sister, which would naturally happen if he interceded in her love life. Slippery explains that he needs one more night to break up the sister's relationship. That means you've got a plan. Can you deliver? Tonight. Before you go to bed, cat's in a bag and a bag's in a river. Don't be a two-time loser. The penalty could be severe. That's the chapter. Do you know the movie? I like this chapter a lot. I chose it because it mentions the city in its title. But it's a very good slice to take out of the movie, a core sample if you will. The movie's very talky, not much need for action. In this chapter you get the idea that there are many types of bad relationships happening, parasitic, exploitative, domineering, and sadistic. This chapter introduces the cops, who are a very small part of the film but who represent the only real physical threat. The majority of threats are more related to status and livelihood. The musical bed you're hearing is called Haunted by Kim Schutterley. You can contact us by email. Our address is mail at rotcast.com. You can read the Rotcast blog at www.venostalgia.com. Our Skype name is Call Rotcast. That's C A L L R O T C A S T. Visit the website to learn more about the wines and link to more content. Listen next time when you will hear. By now, the volcano was in full eruption. Every second, almost a million cubic meters of ash, rock, and pumice were being forced out of the vent crashing down the mountainside. This avalanche had an extraordinary effect on the sea. It caused unpredictable swells and rapid tidal movements. The volcano was about to claim its first victim.